to help me welcome Chris Klein this morning. Chris, just remind us, like, I know some people may not have met you yet. Like, how long have you and Don been a part of the Victory Point community? Probably 10 year, years, probably 10 years. Right on. So I just want to give you an invitation. If, if you guys haven't met Chris and Don officially in these 10 years, like you should meet them. So when you see them out in the lobby or here in the auditorium, just go up and uh, I don't know where Don is right now. Is she, she's back there. So that's Don. They usually sit over in the cool section where I sit over here on this side of the church. She is. And, um, and, and I just want to show hiding. you. What's that? She is hiding. She's hiding. Yes. As soon as I mentioned her name, she kind of went like this. But and I just want to demonstrate to you guys uh, when you go up to meet Chris, probably what um, your default is, is you shake hands. Well, if you try to shake hands with Chris, that's not going to work very well because because his hands, due to his disability, are always moving and gripping. And if he gets a hold of your hand, you're just going to be I with will. him the rest of the day. Okay. So you shake his foot, his toe, Two. actually. S. Hurt you. I will hurt you. Yeah, not intentionally, but he might hurt you because he'll grab you so tight and then you're trying to get away from him. So this is how you say hi to Chris. Just you shake his toe. Okay? He's, got, he's got control of his toe. You'll see that. and just you know, Obviously, you've seen that by the way he uses his board. Um, so that's how you say hi to Chris. Okay? So don't try to shake his hand and don't take it personally if he doesn't try to shake your hand when you offer your hand. Okay? Shake his toe. That's how you greet Chris. So Chris and I have been friends, like, how long have, I'm trying to remember, how, at least 15 years, I think, right? How long have we known each other? 23. You, you remember. I'm memorable. Like, people remember when they meet me. I don't remember when I meet I people, would. but. Think. Yeah. 23, I would think. Yeah, I, I started, I got to know Chris by uh, joining his team of volunteers that help, you know, feed him or get him ready for bed at night. He's always looking for volunteers, especially yeah. people that can help him get ready for bed a couple times a month. So if you're interested in available for things like that, talk to myself yeah. or Chris or Don or Crozier, and we'd love to help you get hooked up with that. Chris is uh, my fantasy football nemesis. Like, uh, we've been a part of a fantasy football team for... Capital I. <laughs> win. Yeah. So, we've a been lot. playing... Be I quiet. win a lot. Just shut up. I got, I'm talking right now. Like, we've been playing fantasy football for, for many, many years together. Crow's part of that league. Bruce, I don't know if Bruce is here. Some of you guys are part of that league. And lately, Chris has been winning more and more. We have this brown jug trophy that, it, that we rotate every year. And right now, it's currently on display at Chris's house. Every time I go over to his house on Thursday night, he has it displayed right there in my face with his name on it as the champion. So... Our, our, our hope in fantasy football is not to necessarily win, but just make sure Chris doesn't win. That, that's kind of where we've become because he's very good at it. But, yeah, but Chris, I, I love this guy, and I, I'm so glad he's a part of our community here. And um, So, know, we did all this. Are we still talking fantasy football? Yeah. Just so you could see 
how this works. So we did this just so you could see how this works. Yeah. Chris, Chris, you can just have a normal, everyday conversation with Chris like this. And, uh, but, but when it comes to preparing like a message or a talk, Chris speaks a lot at conferences around the country and at different churches and so forth. But like just for perspective, um, for, for people to understand, like when you prepare a message like this, 80. Like, average, how many hours does it take? Percent sign, Z, 80. 80 hours. I mean, so like imagine like 80 hours to, to get everything in a, in a file saved, you know, composed, typed out and ready to go. Like Chris, Chris really takes this seriously and he invests time when he when it comes to speaking to people, you know, on behalf of the Lord, um, he really invests time into this. Then listen and then listen. Like because you got to you mean then listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a process, and so uh, we're really excited to have him share. He he shares regularly as as you know a person here at Victory Point and a person that we trust. You know, when we talk about discipleship, one of the phrases we use a lot is you want to have a life worth imitating. If, if you're going to disciple somebody, you don't have to have a perfect life, but you want to have a life worth imitating. And what we mean by that is like. Like, do we think if people were to try to be more like us, that they would have a better relationship with God and in the kingdom? You know, it's like what Paul says, the Apostle Paul. He says, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm going to try to be a living example among you of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And when I think of that, I think of this guy. I, I think my life would be better if I would imitate him more in the way he approaches life, the way he lives life, that no matter what's going on in his life, no matter what the circumstances are, he seeks to orient his life around the kingdom of God and to both declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God in his life to those around him. That, that's just what his life mission and passion is. And uh, so when Chris speaks, I lean in. Because his life speaks loud for me. So I want to hear his words. So uh, with that in mind, I just want to pray. And then Chris is going to share a message with us. So Father, thank you for Chris and Don, And thank you uh, for the gift they are to the Victory Point family. Thank you for the way that they participate in this family and love this family. And thank you for the way Chris is using his gifts to serve the family this morning. So Lord, um, we know that you've been working in his heart and in his mind over the last 80 hours of preparation. And so I, I pray, Lord, that we would now experience um, the anointing and the fruit of what you've been speaking to Chris as he speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take it away, buddy. I want to introduce you to a 39-year-old woman. She has cerebral palsy. We met her when we were out in Colorado at the No Barriers conference I was speaking at. No Barriers is a four-day adventure camp conference for people with all kinds of disabilities, and is an awesome place to try anything. She was sitting by us at the opening ceremony, which she initiated a conversation with us. A couple of years ago, Don and I went to Washington, D.C. for vacation, and we remembered this woman was from Washington, D.C., so we called her up and made plans to get together. We had dinner and lunch a couple of times, and through our interactions with her we realized she hasn't really accepted Jesus into her life. She would say she was a believer, but after a few deeper conversations with her, 
we realized she was struggling with feeling the love God has for her. She hasn't accepted who she is. She believes she can't date somebody without a disability because they would need to help her. By the third night of hanging out together, Dawn and I were exhausted and frustrated. I had another conference in Washington that same October, and we again had dinner with our friend. We again tried to love on her, and just be loving to her, as we hope she feels loved by God. However, we know she doesn't feel God's love for her, and feels like she doesn't deserve to be loved by God because of the situation she is in. How many of us sitting in this room know someone just like this? but we have decided not to get our hands dirty. How many of us know somebody in our lives who we know need to be loved, but we know they don't think the same as us, so we just leave them alone? That is the easiest thing to do. Somebody else will come, and they will love him or her. Trust me, I know I have done that before and really never thought about what I was doing. Yet, we have Jesus telling us in Matthew 22 verses 37 through 40, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What does it mean to love one another? This is a question you are going to be dealing with for the rest of your lives. We all know the commandment and yet most of us here struggle with it. The reality is we are clueless about loving our neighbor because we don't want to be too involved in other people's lives. You see, if we are too involved, they might actually come ask us for help, and we might not know what to do. Actually, Maybe Jesus is telling us to love people who are like-minded of us. You know, we can just love the people that go to church, and believe what we believe? We have no problem of doing that, and don't you think Jesus would make it easy on us? I know that Jesus I follow likes to make our lives easy to follow him. Ha ha ha. It's obvious loving your neighbor isn't that easy because if it was, there wouldn't be a problem. So, the question is what does loving your neighbor mean to Jesus? One researcher found in a survey that 49% of the people interviewed said they would be able to tell the story of the Good Samaritan if asked to do so. 45% said they would not be able to and 6% were unsure whether they could tell it or not. Among those who attended religious services every week, the proportion that thought they could tell the story rose to 69%, but do we actually understand the parable? We name hospitals, churches, and institutions in his honor. Most people know a good Samaritan when they see one. Mother Teresa, Albert Schweitzer, the fire brigade, even the anonymous person that simply stops to change a flat tire for you, or helps a blind person cross the street. Yes, we have all met one or have heard of one, 
but do we fully understand the story? In the story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37, we are immediately introduced to a lawyer, he poses a question to Jesus as a test. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers this question with one of his own. What is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answers Jesus back, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. We, too, know the answer to this question. We know we need to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, strength, and mind. Deuteronomy 6 starting at verse 4 reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The first lesson I learned from this scripture is we need to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. If I want to be on mission with God, I better be seeking Him with all of my heart. If I haven't accepted that I am a child of God, I haven't accepted His love, which means I am going to have a difficult time following Him. The first step is to go after God with everything. God wants us to be His temple. That means we must desire God. We must love Him with our whole being. Are we doing that? Are we going after God with everything we have? Do people know we are a follower of Jesus when they just meet us? Every day it's a struggle just to get up and go out into the world to live life. However, if you are trying to do it without arming yourself with the power of God, it's that much more difficult. We need to be in His Word. We need to be in communication with Him. We need to love Him with everything we have, so that we are ready to go out into the world with Him. We have to love our God with everything we have in order to take the next step. But the lawyer was not satisfied with that, still wishes to be noticed, so he asks another question. And who is my neighbor? In other words, okay, Jesus, I understand I am supposed to care, but what are the limits of my caring? When can I quit? The lawyer is trying to make the argument that not everybody is his neighbor. There are sinners and other unclean people that shouldn't be viewed as a neighbor. And here Jesus tells his famous story. Before we get into the story, I would like to show you what the Jericho Road actually looks like. I've never been there, but these are pictures that a friend of mine took when he took a group there. It's a very rugged and dangerous route to take. 
It descended nearly 3,300 feet in 17 miles, running through narrow passes at points. The terrain offered easy hiding for the bandits who terrorized travelers. The scripture Luke 10 verses 30 through 37. It will be up on the screen as I introduce you to each person in this story individually. The first person to which we are introduced is the poor traveler. He had taken the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This unfortunate man had been stripped, beaten, and left for dead. Jesus's audience that day knew how easily it could happen. If we're honest with ourselves, we can all relate in one way or another to a traveler that has been abandoned and left for dead. We all have been hurt. All of us have felt abandoned in one way or another. I had a difficult time coming into this world. As a result of lack of oxygen at birth, I have cerebral palsy. As an individual who has a disability, I know this feeling well. People don't understand my disability is just physical, so many are just scared to approach me. I'm looked at differently. I am talked to loudly. I am stared at regularly. I understand what it feels like to be that traveler. However, I know there are a couple of people here today that are feeling that way. If you are feeling that way today, maybe it's time to tell somebody about it. If you are feeling that way today, maybe it's time to enter into a deeper relationship with Jesus. If you are feeling that today, I want to encourage you to come to the prayer corner over to my left, or to your right. There will be people there, who are willing to pray with you and start walking this journey with you. At the same time, don't you know somebody that feels abandoned? Is there somebody out there you know is hurting? I know there are several people that I know who are going through stuff, and yet I know I haven't stepped up. What about you? Have you stepped up? As we turn back to scripture, Suddenly who should come along, but a priest. If anyone could be expected to stop and help it would be a priest. But wait. The priest does not come over to help, scripture says he passes by on the other side. Next there came a Levite, an assistant priest. As the text has it, he came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. If you look at these pictures, there is no other side. They literally had to step over him to get around him. They literally had to ignore him to continue on their way. I believe the main reason for them not stopping and helping was their religion. This was the Sabbath and they were headed to worship their God in the temple. So if they had approached the traveler, they would have been unclean themselves. They were both Jews headed to Jerusalem to worship. I can just picture them now, if we touch him we will become ceremonially unclean. They missed the point. 
They were like the Pharisees who took every bit of the law and did not show any grace. They obeyed the law to its letter. I know it is easier to step over somebody than it is to stop and help. I know I do that all the time. I see somebody that looks like needs help, and I don't stop. I'm on my way to somewhere, so I know my thought is somebody else will stop and help him or her. I wonder how many of us here would have stopped to help somebody fix a flat tire on the way to church today. I believe if we are honest with ourselves, the majority of us wouldn't have stopped. We would have been too concerned about getting to church. We would assume they had a cell phone and help is on the way. It's one thing not to stop when seeing a broken down car, but will we stop when we see a broken person on the edge of jumping off the cliff? We live in a world that has lost every sense of living in a community. People are dealing with their brokenness on their own and some are at the breaking point. I bet all of us here know somebody going through a rough time, and yet we are scared. We are scared to approach them because they might be different than us, and we don't know how to help. Maybe the person doesn't know Christ, so we find it easier to turn away from the person because we are uncomfortable with the situation. Let me ask a couple of questions. Do you find yourself judging the worth of a man before you decide whether you are going to help him? Do you only feel comfortable helping those who are just like you? Do you let the color of their skin, the length of their hair or the style of their clothing determine to whom you will love as you love yourself? Enter character number three, a Samaritan. The Samaritan sees the man, but instead of distancing himself just as the priest and the Levite had earlier, he comes closer. As the text has it, when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Oil to keep them soft, wine to sterilize. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. The Good Samaritan Nowhere in the Bible will we find the words good and Samaritan next to each other. For those folks who first heard this story, the phrase Good Samaritan would have been an oxymoron. Oxymoron is the putting together of words, which seem to contradict each other. The only good Samaritan would have been a dead Samaritan. Why such depth of feeling? The hostility between Jews and Samaritans was hundreds of years old. It went back to the time of the division of the nation into the northern and southern kingdoms. Samaria came to be identified with the north, in Judea with the south. Following the northern kingdom's fall to Assyria in 721 BC, exiles from many nations settled in Samaria, creating something of a melting pot, no longer was it purely Jewish. When the southern kingdom fell, all the Jews were carried out into exile, except the Samaritans. 
they state in the captured territory. Samaritans had intermarried with Gentiles making them half-breeds. They had perverted the race. The Samaritans had also perverted the religion. By the time of Jesus, the animosity towards Samaritans was so great that some Jews would go miles out of their way to avoid even walking on Samaritan soil. After all, if Jesus were just trying to say we should help the helpless, supply the needs of the needy, he could have talked about the first and second men who passed by and the third one who stopped and cared for the half-dead guy in the ditch. If Jesus were also making a jibe against religious establishment, we would expect the third man to be a layman, an ordinary Israelite, in contrast to the professional clergy. If Jesus were illustrating the need to love our enemies, then the man in the ditch would have been a Samaritan who was cared for by a loving Israelite. Of course, that is not the way the story goes. We have to deal with, why a Samaritan? The second lesson I learned is Jesus expects us to get our hands dirty, and show grace. It doesn't matter who it is, whether he is a Jew or a Gentile. Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. The lawyer cannot bring himself to admit that the Samaritan was the good neighbor because to the lawyer he was the non-neighbor. The Jews didn't recognize Samaritans as neighbors. They hated them. Yet, the lawyer sees the Samaritan as the one who gave the traveler mercy and Jesus orders him to go do the same. Jesus is telling the Jewish crowd the kingdom of God extends beyond the select and the elite Jews. It encompasses more than you think, and therefore we have to love our neighbors from every nation, even from Samaria. We are just like the lawyer. We can be a good neighbor to the people that are like us, but when we are able to touch somebody's life that might be a little more broken than ours, we back away and leave them alone. How can we make a difference, so why try? One often hears that the task of dealing with pain in the world is often so vast that we don't even know where to begin or how we can even hope to make a dent in what needs to be done. Such thinking can become an excuse for inactivity. If I don't know where to start, I better not do anything at all because I will be overwhelmed. A better attitude would be deciding to pitch in where one can see he or she has the ability to help. We cannot solve everything, but we can do little parts that will sprinkle the love of Jesus into people's lives. Actually, we are called to sprinkle the love of Jesus into other people's lives. It was 7 p.m. on a Friday night. I have just finished dinner and took off for a walk. As I was riding, I had the sudden urge I had to go to the bathroom and I had to go in a hurry. I rushed home, and I started to call some people. It took me to the third call to get somebody to answer. Scott answered, Hello. I said, I'm crapping myself. I'm crapping myself. He said, Okay, I'll be there in two minutes. By the time Scott arrived, I could no longer hold it, and we had a mess on our hands. 
Yet, Scott just cleaned me up, helped me on the toilet, and loved me as Christ would. I experience the love of others on a daily basis. I can't feed and dress myself, so I need others to come to my assistance. The love from my friends have made me have a life of my own. They continue to show up when I need them. I know I can count on them because they are always going to show up when I need them. Yet, it's not a one-way street. You know what, as they are helping me, I am helping them. I am able to encourage them and listen to the things that they are struggling with. I'm broken. Everybody can see I am, and yet through my brokenness they also see a love for Christ. They feel comfortable sharing their hurts because I'm open about my struggles and through that Jesus can touch their lives. Do you know somebody who is crapping themselves? They may be trying to hide it, but I bet we all know somebody who needs our help. Our hands may get a little dirty, but what are we going to do? If we truly love God, we need to love our neighbor. He or she may be very different from us, but they need to feel the love of Jesus. If we believe we are a child of God, it is time to get our hands dirty. The last lesson I have learned is it isn't my job to change the person. The Good Samaritan never said I will care for you, if you believe everything that I believe. He put the traveler on his donkey and took him to an inn, and then paid for his stay. I don't believe I always do that well. Actually, I probably try too hard at times to make them understand my perspective. The only job I have is to show the love of God. Sometimes I get to caught up about trying to change the person. I know I have done this with the friend we have in Washington, D.C. I have tried to make her understand my perspective on things. I should have just showed her the love Jesus has for her. By doing that, the person will be more willing to ask questions about God. That is when I am able to share with them how God truly views them. When I do this I have realized people are receiving it in a more welcoming way. I know it's a very difficult balance that we need to walk. We want to make disciples and share God's love, but at the same time sometimes it's good enough to walk with them and meet them where they are at and just show them God's love just by being with them. When we are going after God and loving Him with all of our hearts, we need to listen to the Spirit to tell us what exactly that person needs. I know this is the hardest part because we so want to help the person. However, helping the person doesn't mean they'll change. Our job is to show love He has for them, so the Holy Spirit can do its work in the individual. Dawn does this way better than me. I have watched her do this a lot in our time together. She listens to the person. She shows love and care to the person. All the while, I'm usually sitting there trying to bite my tongue. However, 
I have realized Dawn is allowing the Holy Spirit to work, all the while she is showing God's love. Even if we might never see her fruit grow, if we are showing the love of God to everybody we encounter, God is working through us. I hope you realize God doesn't need us to do His work. He invites us to join Him on a mission. That mission is to love our neighbors ourselves, and then allow Him to do the rest. The movie Paid Forward is a movie that you need to see, if you haven't seen it. Kevin Spacey plays a 7th grade history teacher and on the first day of class he challenges his students with a year-long assignment. The assignment is to come up with an idea that would change the world. Trevor is a student in the class and he comes up with this pay-it-forward idea. The idea is to do a good deed to three people, and have them do a good deed to three other people, so it multiplies quickly. As the movie progresses, we see this movement spread amongst three states, and it catches the attention of the reporter, who tracks down Trevor. As Trevor is being interviewed, he seems shy about the attention. Then he says, I think some people are scared to think the world could be different. The world isn't exactly crap. It's hard for some people to change, even when things are bad, and they kind of give up. When they give up, everybody kind of loses. We are scared to get involved because we are scared our flaws will be revealed. It is easier to give up on somebody, than to share our brokenness with him or her, and show them we need help too. Yet, Jesus commands us to go make a difference in somebody's life. I am going to invite the band to come up. As they are coming up, what is God saying to you? Are you the traveler that feels abandoned? Is he inviting you into a deeper relationship with him? Are you one of the three people passing by?
Is he bringing a name to mind of someone that needs to know the Father's love? What are you going to do about what's God saying to you? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to seek you with all of our hearts. We ask you to give us the opportunity to love somebody that needs to know your love. Help us be bold in showing your love because all we need to do is live life and let you do the rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.